welcome to the first episode of Committee for Ballarat's podcast, Thought Leaders, Future Shapers, and we aim to inspire diverse thought leadership to unlock potential. I'm Michael Poulton, CEO for Committee for Ballarat, and am privileged to hear the amazing stories of leadership and innovation in our work with members every day of the week. This podcast is a chance to share those stories more broadly in a setting that allows you to listen when it suits you. Each episode will feature an inspiring thought leader future shaper, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. Proudly, our podcast partner, Runway Ballarat, are also passionate about the stories of leadership, innovation and hustle through their work fostering business startups and promoting collaboration. Thought Leaders Future Shapers is recorded right here in Ballarat in Runway's own podcast studio. We're recording today's podcast on the traditional lands of the Wathaurong people. I welcome any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be joining us today, and I pay my respects to our Indigenous Elders, past, present and emerging. This, our first episode in the series, was recorded a little while ago and features our past chair, Dr David Deutscher. Whilst chair, David encouraged thought leadership to strive to make Ballarat and the region the best it can be. We're incredibly grateful to David for his contribution to committee and we hope you enjoy listening to his insights during this episode. Welcome David Deutscher. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Thank you Michael. Well I was born and bred in Ballarat and come from an engineering family background, Deutscher Engineering. I decided to study medicine because I wanted to make a difference in people's lives and that's what I did. And I married a young lady that I met at medical school who comes from Singapore, so we're a multicultural family. And I returned to Ballarat because Ballarat provided an opportunity to practice good surgery, be a good partner and be a good father. And so here I am. David, perhaps as a starting point, why is it that uh, the Committee of Ballarat caught your interest um, and, does, and made you, I guess, make that decision to say uh, we're going to take on the, the role of chair? It was put to me that Committee for Ballarat was an opportunity to make a difference, and that's what I've sought to do in my work all my life. But it's also a body of people who are independent and can therefore think perhaps outside the circle and not be subject to the legitimate constraints of the political cycle, etc. But it gives the opportunity to think above the playing field, so to speak, and give ideas for where players, the community, may direct their thoughts and ideas. Tell us about uh, your first six months in the role. What's, what's, what's sparked your curiosity in these first six months? I think what's been impressive is the calibre of the people who are on the board and who are members and their commitment not only to their businesses and the expertise and excellence of their businesses, but to see how that makes a difference for a community and a region and to think outside the profit and loss, as important as that is, but to think what the future may hold for children and grandchildren. I mean, I must say, being born and bred in Ballarat, it was completely white Anglo-Saxon and now, of course, it's very multicultural and has that uh, potential to grow even further in this field. It's a university town rather than tech and SMB, but as important as they are in the future. But there's been huge growth in the medical precincts, the educational precincts and the uh, innovative business precincts. And we uh, have the potential to play on the world stage. So... And it also has the benefit of a sustainable and uh, mentally, what shall I say, comfortable or 
healthy lifestyle mm. away from the bigger cities. And I think COVID perhaps taught us that. It's the right segue, David. <laughs> COVID, um, we can't have a conversation without it right now. But um, I'm interested, and let's, let's just take a moment, um, the stop, listen, look, learn type approach. What is it about COVID that we can learn from when we do stop, look, and listen at what's around us? I think, Michael, it's shown us and drawn our attention to what's important in life. And as you know, I'm keen to ride a bike and I do get out early in the morning sometimes when it's not too cold. But the, the, just seeing families walking together, which I've never seen before. And last night I had people around for dinner for the first time in ages and the conversation just absolutely flowed and was vibrant and vital and clearly we'd missed that human contact as good as Zoom and Microsoft Teams etc are. So I think we've appreciated the wide open spaces, the value of human interaction, the value of our physical health. I think we've learnt to value the importance of government and authority and we've seen how our government for whom a lot of us have been may have been critical in the past and we're perhaps losing some faith in it have really listened to good scientific advice taken that advice and bipartisanly made policies that have really made us the envy of the world now we're not out of this phase yet and i think we'll need to learn to not we won't get back to normal as the normal we've faced before, but we'll get to, to a normal as we learn to live with COVID. And the fact that we've had 20 new cases in the last 24 hours says, yes, we will continue pre presumably to have some little epicenters of care, but I think we've at least established the principles and the processes whereby we can deal with those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. The cooperation between the two hospitals in Ballarat here has been remarkable and something that's perhaps not been seen in some other cities. It's a great example, isn't it? And uh, whilst we've been successful, I suspect, here in Ballarat as a regional city, uh, controlling, containing, managing any outbreaks, um, it's also reflective of the collaboration right across the country, isn't it? You touched on recognising science, you touched on, on government's response to science. Um, if we think about you know, what the long-term changes really are, that's got to be one of them, doesn't it? This notion of our capacity to collaborate and what is possible when you get people who are um, are motivated by a single goal or an ambition um, and can genuinely work together to achieve that. Michael, I think that word you use, collaborate, is really important and we've talked a lot about that. I mean, as good as our democracy is, democracy is based on the idea of the testing of ideas, but in the recent years it's been very confrontational and very bipartisan. But committee, and I think, again, what we've learnt, to go back to your question, is the importance of collaboration. And when we collaborate and listen with the view to understanding, not just to replying, we can then innovate. And you only have to look at Gecko, etc., and look at, our, again, our ongoing interest in renewable energy. I mean, as you well know, our town is ahead compared to many places in Victoria. But if we can keep that idea of listening, of collaborating, creating a space where conversation can occur, then it allows ideas that are forward-thinking to germinate, to run, to be shared, and that makes a difference. Let's talk about that a bit more. And um, one of the big platforms of committee's work is, is livability. 
Um, you spoke before of Ballarat, the place you've chosen to live most of your life in. You've come away, you've you've gone away, you've come back. I've done a bit of the same. But essentially it's a town we've both chosen to live in. Um, livability is a term that gets thrown around a bit. Melbourne's the most livable city in the world, or it was until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in terms of what you see livability is, and particularly if we start to think about that in collaboration with others, how do we protect that livability? I'll just take one step back, you mentioned in our commencement, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we live. And I think their feature, the feature I learned from our Indigenous folk and and colleagues and fellow citizens is their sense of community and their sense of looking at the future and their sense of looking after the natural world. So I think when we think about livability and we think about the challenge of climate change, etc., perhaps Livability involves a place where we can be fulfilled as human beings, which is part of the, the paradigms of the World Health Organization and the United Nations, so that we live comfortably, as in we live with a good roof overhead, good food supply, but we also live where our mental health is and our spirituality is valued and cared for, and we are connected. I think one of the problems of our modern life is the disconnectedness, whether it be with family or with each other or through business, etc. So livability to me is connectedness. And it's I've hinted that to be in that personal and psychological space, but livability is also to be able to live in a space that, that honours nature, a space that honours creativity. So we, there's no reason why we can't have buildings and houses that are creative and add to the beauty of a place. And if people can admire and be surrounded by beauty, they're in a different space, I think, to live more cohesively with each other. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we see so many uh, examples, hero images of our, of our town that are beautiful places. It's the uh, lake at sunset. Um, it's the sun coming up over the back of Warren Heap with a layer of cloud around it. Um, beauty is everywhere we look, and yet we struggle in life from time, and certainly we see this in our mental health states right now. We struggle in life just to take the time to stop, look, listen, and admire, savour um, that beauty. So I think um, your context of livability, actually taking the time to admire where we live, we're, we're very blessed in a place like Ballarat. Indeed we are, Michael. And look, you only have to look at the number of people now walking around the lake. And part of it is, I suppose, the wish to come out. But you could walk anywhere. But people walk around the lake to see those sunsets. And there's always photographers, etc. there. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. David, if we talk population growth with our members, I think it's probably the thing that is uh, most on their minds. What is Ballarat going to look like in the future if we continue to have this growing population? Are our roads going to get more congested? Am I going to find it more difficult to find a car park outside the front of the shop that I want to go to? Population growth is inevitable. Um, There is an understanding, I think, that great planning can help mitigate some of the the problems of population growth and certainly some of the congestions in our cities. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in relation to how Ballarat might contribute to a broader population settlement plan of Victoria such that Melbourne doesn't just have to keep growing exponentially that Ballarat doesn't have to keep growing at a rate that people don't enjoy, um, but in fact that we can 
a plan for our population settlement in such a way that we maintain livable cities? That's a really good question, Michael. And I think building on the conversation we've already had, my thought would be is that if we can build Ballarat, expand Ballarat with the idea of maybe their satellite villages, but the, the concept of the village as opposed to the suburb. Now, the village is where people knew would know each other, would interact with each other, would have space for play, space for recreation, space for communication in community events. And in those village spaces, we would build buildings that are sustainable and to follow up with your passion about renewable energy, may be supplied by energy sources that are renewable. So there would be, if you like, regulatory harmony that would allow those sort of activities to happen. And perhaps there's a hub-and-spoke aspect to it so that from a village that is interconnected, we can connect to back to the city or between other villages, so to speak. There are... Um, transport channels that are easily accessible. Now, how we fill those transport channels, hopefully we can do that without too many cars, but it may be that's with bicycles. It may be for the really fit people that walk. It may be that it's gopher-friendly. David, let's um, move on to some R&D, some research and development, and we're sitting here today at the Runway Studios. Mm. Um, Runway is a, is, a, is a incubator that supports startups. It's a co-working space that allows people with like minds to collaborate, discuss, solve problems, come up with their own ideas. Um, it's a really crucial part to problem solving is the, com- is the contribution others might make. If I think about your profession in, in medical research particularly, um, how has it been, I think, that, that we've been able to be so successful in a place like Ballarat to attract R&D? Um, Birch comes to mind, Fiona Elsie comes to mind. How is it we've been so successful in a town like Ballarat in trying to bring this R&D focus into a, in, in the medical profession? I think that's happened because there have been some key players who, are, who have been committed to come back to a region like this, have had the innovative and creative insights. And I certainly know Fekri was driven by the in-depth shop floor, if you like, experience of a young girl, Fiona Elsie, who died prematurely and wanted a research facility in a region. So it's responding to a community request in that sort of way. Birch is Professor Yates and he has a passion for regional living and a passion to continue the best quality research and to evolve regional excellence. And we're seeing that coming through the next generation of young doctors who want to make a difference but want to have the lifestyle perhaps want to be family people as well as good practitioners. And there's a, a, if you like, a tipping point, I think, of people who are interested in research. I think also we've got good contacts with the university. And in the past, we've talked about Ballarat becoming a university town or town of universities. So I think that also will attract a certain intellectual clientele, if you like, of people who are passionate to not spend time in cars but to spend time or to live in a regional area but at the same time be able to perform research and do research. We've uh, extremely lucky and again we talk of the livability of a region like ours or a town like Ballarat, we're extremely lucky to have two very good hospitals. 
Um, six universities are involved in those hospitals from an R&D perspective, uh, great private practice. Um, is it a coincidence or is uh, it's more than that, that we've got great medical facilities? I'm reminded very much of, again, we're acknowledging the original owners of the land and their, their, what they have done with this land and their uh, stewardship of it. I think that there's a long history of men and women in the medical profession who have honoured the stewardship of the medical calling and have attracted and continue to attract really good people that have had a, had a passion for making sure that regional people have access to good services. And that's been really the culture, if you like. And I think we've been fortunate to have, along not only with the base hospital, but St John's and the nuns, I call them the pre-feminists, because they were absolutely passionate about supporting communities. They started 100 years ago. So you've got public and private that have worked together with a passion to serve. And... I do believe that's the culture that's been in Ballarat and continues to be there. And in later years, we've had, for a long time, we've had really good executive leadership that have seen the importance of evolving, keeping up to date. And clinicians as well, I've probably said this before, but clinicians who have sought to stay in contact with what happens in the metro areas but to bring that to, to regions so people don't have to travel. So it's, it's a commitment to our people and they've collaborated with the metro, our metro colleagues. Again, I think um, how lucky we are that we've seen that over a period of time. Let's look forward and this is a, a podcast called Thought Leaders and Future Shapers. In many ways, those future shapers are the generation below where you and I are. Um, mm. They're going through school right now. Uh, they're perhaps at university. Um, they're that millennial generation. How do you see, I guess, the, the essence of Ballarat in terms of where we have been connecting with where we need to be in this notion of the future shaper? Michael, I think that is through the next generation and that's creating an environment that will attract people to come back. We want our young people to be inspired by their educational experience, whether that be at secondary school or whether that be in a tertiary level. Fed Uni, ACU, we want them to go away and learn but be inspired to come back and that comes back to the livability, that they see that this place is livable, livable in the sense of lifestyle, of connectedness, collaboration, the sorts of things we've already spoken about, but to have pride in our city. And perhaps one of the other things that I meant to mention, you mentioned before heritage, well we, we if going forward we think, well, what will heritage look like in the future so that we build and create her not only building heritage but those that cultural heritage that is of service and, and of building a better community. So our young people that are in school right now, their, their sense of what a better community looks like, whose responsibility is that? Where does it come from? I think it comes from our generation of leaders you see that with the schools. I mean, as you know, we have uh, we have five schools who are members of Committee for Ballarat and we know their headmasters and we know their commitment and they are people who are connected to networks around the country and around the world that look at how we channel a better education. And again, they're innovative because we're going back to things we've spoken about before, how we deliver our teaching. Some people, have, students have suffered 
from not being at school, but a, a number of them are actually doing better through homeschooling. So there is a question now about, well, do we deliver multimodality teaching, etc.? So people are continuing to think about how we can improve. So it's that continued improvement culture that I think we see in Ballarat. And you see that again through the creative energies through Gecko, etc. It's a great point, isn't it? And I think um, one of the learnings from COVID, um, geez, for about 10 to 12 weeks now, we've had kids learning from home with mum and dad in many ways supervising it, some without that supervision. Uh, it's going to be a great challenge for education to say, well, what from that do we take? Mm. What do we now pick up and, and bring forward with us back into the school environment? Um, because it won't all be bad. There'll be some um, wonderful opportunities that the last 12 weeks have, have really brought upon us. And that's a challenge for all of us to accept those and, uh, and to bring them on. But look, I think, David, our time is quickly coming to an end. There is a, a question I like to ask anyone that I interview. Um, it's a bit strange. Um, but I need you to finish this sentence for me. It all comes down to... Keeping the faith in ourselves, our community, our relationships... And the democracy we've worked very hard to build and which all of those aspects are at threat in the current modern world. David Deutscher, what a wonderful way to finish. Thank you for your time today. Thank you to Runway Ballarat uh, for the use of their studios. It is a community shared space and we hope that so many more people can take advantage of what Runway has to offer. But it's been a delight today. I uh, have spent many hours with you, David, as our chair and CEO do. Um, but rarely do we get a chance just to chew the fat, so it's been good to do it. Hope you've enjoyed listening and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye for now.